Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast each and every week. And of course, this is, I guess you could call it the second one of the last few days anyway, maybe not the second of the week. We'll have a second podcast later this week uh, because it is football playoff time, getting close to that time anyway. So last Saturday, we had a special, or actually last Sunday, excuse me, we had a special edition of the WSN podcast where we broke down what we were seeing on our playoff projections, what some of the cut lines were, where all that was going. We'll have another one this weekend at some point, either Saturday or Sunday, that will uh, relook at things from uh, what changes there might be in our projections based on what happens on the field on Friday and Saturday and Thursday as well. Uh, so those will be our our podcast that will focus on the playoff process. And so today's podcast, we're not going to get into that as much. We're going to focus more on um, a preview of week eight, some of the big games on the schedule, uh, kind of where things stand in general, and going to take a look at what I would call our mid-season favorites for Offensive Player of the Year in the state of Wisconsin. You might be saying, Travis, it's week seven. There's nine regular season weeks. That's not exactly mid-season. Well, okay, but there are 14 total weeks of high school football when you count the playoffs and the state finals. So we're through seven weeks of 14. So we'll call that the mid-season point where we can get a better idea on some of the players that are in a position where they might be considered in that Offensive Player of the Year race. Some of them, uh, you know, a little bit of a surprise maybe. Some of them the kind of players that we expected. Some of them, uh, you know, in a position where they probably need to do some big things the rest of the way to to really be in the hunt. Um, But we'll break down some of the favorites as it stands right now and going forward. But before we get into that, we will take a look at Week 8, the upcoming week in high school football and kind of break down some of the big games that are going to be on the schedule. It is a pretty big week in the Milwaukee area, uh, and it does start on Thursday night where Racine St. Catharines takes on Martin Luther. Racine St. Catharines went uh, went down a couple weeks ago, um, so everybody in the Metro, uh, Metro Classic Conference right now is chasing Racine Lutheran, and it doesn't appear that anyone is going to be able to catch them because Racine Lutheran has already beaten both of these teams, Racine Cath- uh, St. Catharines and Martin Luther. But this is a big one for uh, staying on the periphery of the conference title chase and also, uh, very importantly, getting in a position to where you might be a top two or three seed in the playoffs. The loser goes to two losses on the year and, depending on the groupings, might be looking at a three or a four, maybe down to a five and having to go on the road. So this could be a big one with the winner you know, being in that hunt for a, a top two or three seed in a home game in level one, a home game in level two potentially, and that can be a big difference maker on a lot of things. It continues on Friday in the Milwaukee area where there are a number of big games, especially in the Greater Metro Conference and in the Classic Eight Conference. In the Greater Metro, most significantly, you've got a showdown between Menominee Falls, who is undefeated in conference play, and looking to wrap up at least a share of the conference title in Brookfield Central, who's currently in second place. The Lancers were humbled a little bit by Marquette, uh, by Marquette a couple weeks ago, shut out 28 to nothing. 
rebounded in a big way last week and got a win over Brookfield East. So Brookfield Central still in the conference title discussion. And uh, really, this one is for at least a share of the league title, most likely for one or both of these teams. Other big games in the big, or excuse me, in the uh, greater Metro, uh, all of the top six teams in that league, all playoff quality type of teams, all play each other. So in addition to Menominee Falls and Brookfield Central, also Brookfield East and Sussex Hamilton. Brookfield East looking to rebound from that loss to Brookfield Central. Sussex Hamilton, an interesting case, a very talented team, very good team. But they're 3-3 three and three in the league right now, and they have a very difficult closing schedule where they need one more win in their next two games to get qualified for the playoffs. And there's no guarantees because they have Brookfield East this week, and then they travel to Menominee Falls next week, where Menominee Falls will be, uh, no matter what happens this week, Menominee Falls will be playing uh, for a share, at least, of the conference title in Week 9 and have a lot to play for and be a highly motivated team. So Sussex-Hamilton, we had them on the outside looking in when it came to our playoff projections because they just got a, a really tough closing schedule here the last two weeks. Also, Marquette, who is really come on strong the last few weeks. After starting 0-3, they've won four in a row, and they travel to Germantown, uh, a team that's 4-2 and two in the conference, 5-2 and two overall. They're another team that has some very difficult closing games. They've, uh, they've become playoff eligible already. They're in a good position, but they've got Marquette and then at Brookfield East next week. All those games... Other than that Brookfield Central Menominee Falls game, the other two are, are more about positioning for the playoffs and getting into the playoffs than it is uh, necessarily about staying in the, the conference title hunt. I don't see Brookfield Central and or Menominee Falls uh, both getting to two losses. Uh, I just don't think that's going to happen. So it's going to be either an outright undefeated championship or potentially a one-loss champion and maybe a shared championship with one loss in the greater metro. Other big games, I mentioned the Classic 8 Conference. You have uh, Muskego looking to stay hot. They've got Kettle Moraine this week, and Kettle Moraine had that big win against Catholic Memorial early in the year. But they need at least one win in their last two games to get into the playoffs. They're kind of in a similar situation to Sussex-Hamilton. Kettle Moraine has Maguana, or excuse me, Muskego this week. Very, very difficult game. And then they uh, host Arrowhead in Week 9. So even though... Catamarine beat Catholic Memorial, pulled off that upset. There's no guarantee that they're going to get in the playoffs, in part because they lost to Waukesha North earlier in the year. So Catamarine, we had uh, projected losing those last two games and missing the playoffs. Uh, other big games in the Classic 8, again, more about positioning because I don't think anybody's going to catch Muskego. Muskego's got a two-game lead on everyone right now, and I don't think there's any way Muskego loses the last two games of the year. Uh, but Catholic Memorial plays at Waukesha West. Maguanago plays against Arrowhead. Maguanago has looked pretty good this year, but they've got a couple losses, and you know things can go south pretty quickly, uh, especially in the Classic 8. So as good as they have looked and gave uh, Muskego a very good game last week for the Indians, they've got to get, uh, get things taken care of. They also lost to Catholic Memorial earlier this year, so they're looking to stay in that hunt where uh, they might be a second-place team in the Classic 8, or at least tied for second, which is going to be uh, a big feather in your cap come playoff time. Some big games in the North Shore Conference. Hartford has to avoid pitfalls these last two weeks 
And if they do, they knock off Homestead and end their 18-year run of at least a share of the conference title. Hartford is at Whitefish Bay this week. That might be the best uh, chance for Hartford to go down because in week nine, they have uh, Port Washington. Port Washington has struggled a little bit this year. Whitefish Bay is four, excuse me, three and four. They're looking to get that fourth win, which will likely get them in and potentially uh, win their last two and guarantee a spot. So this is going to be a tough one for Hartford. I'm not anticipating uh, a walkover by any means. Another very interesting game in the North Shore is Nicolay and Grafton. Both teams kind of in that mix. Uh, Both teams looking to get uh, enough wins to qualify and guarantee themselves a spot. Grafton got knocked off last week, a little bit of a surprise. Um, And then a couple weeks ago, uh, it was Nicolay that had lost to Cedarburg. And actually, I guess Grafton lost to Slinger last week, so not a huge surprise, but um, it was a big game nonetheless. So Grafton needs one more win to secure a spot. Nicolay a team that has not been in the playoffs since 1989, their only playoff appearance. They need one more win to get to four in conference play, which will almost certainly get them in. Two more wins guarantees them a spot. But uh, a tough one against Grafton, and they're going to want to get this one because next week they host Homestead, and that will be a a really challenging game, obviously, for Nicolay. Uh, You would love to see Nicolay be able to find a way to get in the playoffs, a, a team that... Uh, again, has a very lengthy playoff drought going that a few years ago canceled their varsity season. Took some steps forward this year, but got to get that one more win to put yourself in a position for the postseason. The Southern Lakes Conference title on the line this week is undefeated Waterford travels to Burlington, who went down to Wilmot last week, uh, their first loss of the year. But a big one in the Southern Lakes, with Waterford looking to secure at least a share of the conference title. If Burlington wins, if they can pull off, uh, I think, what would be a little bit of an upset, um, then you're looking at the possibility and likelihood of a three-way tie atop the Southern Lakes Conference heading into the final week of the season. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, Waterford, dynamic rushing attack, two, uh, two-headed monster at running back with Tanner Keller, Dominic Miller, Burlington. Uh, even though they've got an experienced quarterback in Dalton Damon, has really turned to the running game a lot more this year. Zach Wallace has done an outstanding job carrying the football. Damon's still making contributions, of course, uh, throwing the football, but also running the football. Uh, so a couple of uh, of pretty good offenses going at it in that one. Um, so again, some big games in the Milwaukee area. Also should mention Milwaukee Reagan and Milwaukee South. That one for control of the Milwaukee City Blackburn. Reagan's got a one-game lead on South. This is the last week of conference games for City Conference teams, so they can secure an outright conference championship. Games of note in the Madison area, an undefeated showdown between Lourdes Academy and Johnson Creek. Control of the Trailways South on the line in that one. Um, excuse me, Trailways Small. I <laughs> Sometimes get confused on the, uh, the the naming conventions for the trailways between the different sports and different divisions. But uh, trailways small, I'm sorry. Uh, both teams, again, coming into that one undefeated. Lodi went down for the first time last week. They got knocked off by Columbus, but they've got to rebound quickly. They have Lake Mills this week. And Lake Mills, to be quite honest with you, I think is flying a little bit under the radar. They have one loss this year, but it was to Menominee. They've beaten on Alaska, a game that I saw over in uh, in Lake Mills. 
And Lake Mills, I think, is a legitimate contender in Division Four. Uh, they've kind of been on the periphery of the top five in the in the coaches' poll, but I think they might be uh, a little bit undervalued right now. Darlington and Mineral Point in the Swall. There's a couple big Swall showdowns this week. Mineral Point's undefeated, looking to uh, head into Week Nine, where they would play Lancaster, who's also undefeated, for a conference title. Um, Mineral Point, led by Isaac Lindsay, who we'll talk about a little bit later, by the way. Uh, in Darlington, you know, they had that win over Lake Country Lutheran early in the year. They had some other impressive victories early, but they've dropped a couple in conference play. And, you know, still, I, I think the jury's still out a little bit on Darlington and, and where they're at as a program right now. Uh, but in the other game in the Swall, Aquinas is at Lancaster. Aquinas has got one loss this year in the, in the uh, conference. And Lancaster, again, looking to, to keep pace and set up a potential winner-take-all showdown with Mineral Point in Week 9. In the uh, And by the way, that Darlington-Mineral Point game, the third most played rivalry in the state of Wisconsin, and the most played rivalry in the state of Wisconsin also takes place this week as Baraboo travels to Reedsburg. 132nd meeting between those two teams, the Baraboo River Jug on the line, uh, amazingly, Baraboo holds a one-game lead in the all-time series, 131 previous meetings. Baraboo leads the series 63-62 to with six ties as well. Amazing uh, to have that many games and have that rivalry that close. Uh, Reedsburg looking to uh, kind of shore up their playoff positioning and spot as the third uh, team, third-place team likely in the Badger North if they can get it, uh, get it done in that one. Baraboo playoff chances on life support. They're one and four right now in the league after making it in last season, in part, in, in big part, because of a win over Reedsburg at the end of the year. Um, but Baraboo still got a chance. If they beat Reedsburg and then they beat Mount Hora Barneveld, who's down a lot in week nine, Baraboo would go to three and four in conference and I think have a very, very strong chance of making it in. Uh, because as we had talked about uh, in our special podcast over the weekend, we project that every team that goes three and four in conference will get in, even if uh, even if Baraboo ends up, um, you know, three and four and, and kind of has to get into the tiebreaker procedures. They'll have a very strong tiebreaker procedure if they can beat Reedsburg, so they would be one of the first teams in there. In the Big Eight Conference, Middleton is at Sun Prairie as well. Uh, Madison Memorial's pretty much got that conference wrapped up, but this is a big one for seeding, for positioning for the playoffs, for momentum. For the playoffs, there are four teams tied for second place in the Big 8, including these two teams. Moving on to the Fox Valley area, Kimberly and Kaukauna square off this week. Uh, Kaukauna has been a, a little bit of a surprise team this year. Only one loss so far, um, but they're uh, looking at a, a pretty tough closing schedule, including this game against Kimberly. And this is an opportunity for uh, Matt Binsfeld's team to really make a statement, really make a... Uh, you know, a, a, a statement about where their program is at right now. And they have Hortonville next week, by the way. So a really difficult kind of end of season for them. Ashwabanon had been undefeated until last week when they got shellacked by Bayport. And uh, now the Jaguars get another undefeated team this week, Pulaski. The FRCC, as we've talked about before, very top-heavy this year. You have three teams. Um with either no losses or one loss, and then everybody else is kind of back a step or a couple steps. And so uh, 
looking to stay alive is Ashwaubenon in the, uh, the, the conference title race, um, but just as importantly, picking up some nice wins to build their momentum for the playoffs. And as we did talk about it in terms of playoffs, we had them projected as potentially dropping down into Division Three this year. West appear in Wrightstown playing a crossover game, the Bay Conference versus the Northeastern Conference. Moving on to the North Central part of the state, some games of note, Mosinee and Medford. And that's uh, likely for a conference championship in the Great Northern Conference. Medford is undefeated. Mosinee has not lost in conference play. Mosinee has one of the top passing attacks in the entire state. Trey Fitzgerald at uh, quarterback guiding that attack. Medford's defense and, and ground and pound has been very strong this year. Another interesting game, Shyocton and Iola, Scandinavia. And, you know, you look at the team records, and this really doesn't have any, uh, you know, significance too much, most likely. But Iola, Scandinavia won state last year. Shyocton has won a state title in the last uh, few years, five or six years as well. But both teams have really struggled this season. Combined three wins. So far, Iola Scandinavia's hopes for getting back to the playoffs as a defending champion rest on not only winning this one against Shyocton, but then pulling off a gigantic upset against Amherst in the final game of the season, a game that we would have thought would have been a real big one coming into the year. Turns out it, it might just be for uh, the, the playoff hopes for Iola Scandinavia and, again, would be a very uh, probably a surprise to see them get in. The Big Rivers Conference, very interesting games this year, uh, this week rather. Of course, last week we had the big one with Superior knocking off Menominee, so that created a three-way tie atop the conference. And two of those three teams meet up this week, so we'll get a little bit more clarity because Superior travels to River Falls. Both teams have one loss, both looking to keep, uh, keep pace with Menominee. River Falls is the defending conference champion, of course. Menominee looks to rebound against Rice Lake, so not only do you have that storyline trying to stay on top of the league, but you have Rice Lake at one and six overall, one and six or one and four in conference play, needing to win to keep their playoff hopes on life support. And the way that uh, things have gone for Rice Lake this year, really difficult to see how you know how that's going to happen. But Menominee is a little bit beat up; they've got some injury issues that they're dealing with, uh, so it, it maybe adds a glimmer of hope for. Rice Lake. Hudson and uh, Eau Claire Memorial also meet up this week. The winner clinches a playoff spot. The loser still has a little bit of work to do. Some big small school games in the northwestern part of the state and west central part of the state. Northwestern is at Bloomer. Northwestern's undefeated. Bloomer's got one conference loss and uh, a big one in the Heart of North Conference. Northwestern can wrap up a uh, at least a share of the title with a win. Bloomer, if they win, Likely forces a three-way tie atop the league standings with uh, with Cumberland also in the mix there. And then Spring Valley in Mondovi, a game that uh, certainly would have loved to pick as the game of the week, but just had to go with the other one, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, but this is a huge game in the Dunn-St. Croix. Both teams are undefeated, well-documented. Mondovi has not allowed a point this year. Looked incredibly dominant. Spring Valley has looked very, very good as well, however. So this is, uh, this is for all the marbles in the Dunn-St. Croix Conference, a, a real big one in the western part of the state. But the game of the week, which we kind of skipped over in our North Central preview, is Edgar in Stratford. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger, much better 
than this kind of a matchup. Uh, just the in incredible history between these two programs. You're talking 20 combined state tournament appearances. You're talking 14 combined state championships, seven apiece. You're looking at uh, Stratford, who has not allowed a point this year. Edgar, who's allowed 20 points in seven games. Both teams extremely dominant. Uh, teams that met in a state title game a decade ago in 2008 or 2009, whatever it was. Uh, 2008, I think. Um, teams that uh, met last year in Week 9 in an instant classic where Edgar scored with five seconds left to claim a victory in that one and uh, win a conference championship. Of course, Stratford went on and made it to the state finals, as did Edgar, uh, but both came up short in their respective divisions. So those are some of the things to watch for this weekend, and there's a lot more games that will impact playoff qualifying, conference positioning, seeding potentially, etc. But those are some of the big ones to watch. But I do want to turn attention to what I'm calling the midseason favorites for player of the year in the state of Wisconsin. And there's a few different player of the year awards that are uh, announced in, uh, and presented in Wisconsin. Of course, at Wisports.net, we have our senior football awards that we do that are eligible only to seniors and are given out based on their positions. We don't award a singular offensive player of the year or overall player of the year. There are a couple others out there. And then, of course, the big ones are the uh, WFCA awards. They're all state awards. And then the offensive player of the year. Uh, and then they do a defensive player of the year as well. And starting last year, of course, there was a large school, all state team, large school player of the year uh, awards. And then small school, all state and small school players of the year. So we're going to look at the offensive player of the year favorites in the midseason. And we're just going to look at it kind of in general. There are some small school players uh, included in the group, not necessarily going to break it down, large school versus small school. But these are uh, kind of the 12 that I have identified as having the right mix of what it takes to, to be in that discussion and to win the uh, Offensive Player of the Year award. There are, uh, you know, kind of some trends when you look at who ends up winning these, uh, these awards. It's going to be somebody, obviously, that comes from a very successful program for the most part. Uh, about the only time I can recall someone winning it and, and not being from one of the top teams in the state was a few years ago when some kid named Zach Bond from Brown Deer was uh, running all over the southeastern part of the state, but his team finished eight and three overall, went out in level two. It's not like they were, you know, an elite team, but his, uh, what he did was just so incredible from an individual standpoint that uh, that brilliance was too much to pass up. And so he ended up winning it a few years ago, but otherwise a lot of the times it's going to be, you know, standout kids from standout programs. A lot of times they kind of need to have the right combination of name recognition, statistical success, team, uh, team success, as we had talked about. Uh, so there's some kids not on the list that will kind of run through some others to watch, if you will, that for whatever reason, whether it's their team, you know, isn't an elite type of team or, um, you know, they didn't have that name recognition at the beginning, whatever it might be that having outstanding seasons are contenders for all states, certainly. But when you're talking about player of the year and getting to the elite of the elite, of the elite not, not there right now. 
maybe they get there, uh, but not there, I, I don't think, as of right now. So who are the 12 favorites for midseason Offensive Player of the Year? And by the way, this is any class. This is not just seniors. Um, we'll start with a couple of juniors, actually, uh, or actually a junior, if you will. Uh, Adam Moen, quarterback at Lake Mills, has had a huge, huge year. Third in the state in passing right now, as I talked about, I think Lake Mills is a little bit undervalued from uh, from the perspective of where they're ranked and uh, what they're doing as a team right now. Um, a couple weeks ago, he had over 600 total yards of offense. Last week, uh, well over 400 in a uh, win over Lakeside Lutheran. His dynamic ability as a not only a thrower but also as a runner is uh, really really impressive. He's over 600 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns on the ground. He's thrown for 20 touchdowns, 1,900 yards already. Um, so a really uh, really strong case that you can build for uh, for Adam Moen. And like a lot of the guys on this list, you know some of it's going to come down to how does the team do. Does Lake Mills make a run? Do they get to Madison? And, and I think you certainly would put him in the conversation for small school offensive player of the year. Another quarterback that uh, would be in the discussion for small school player of the year would be Isaac Lindsay from Mineral Point. Obviously a really elite level basketball player. That's kind of where his, uh, you know, his future lies and where his name is best known. He's committed to UNLV for basketball. Got some looks from the Badgers and some other high-end programs, but He's a heck of a quarterback, and it's kind of a theme for several of these guys on this list, actually. Thrown for 1,500 yards, 21 touchdowns, only one interception so far this year. Completed 78.8% of his passes. His passer rating, 154.1. He's ran for six touchdowns as well, uh, making a difference there. Obviously plays at a small school. Um, they've got some tough games coming up where he'll get some better competition against Lancaster and uh, in Darlington, but uh, he's had a heck of a year and will be in that conversation for small school offensive player of the year as well. Some other quarterbacks certainly are in the mix, including Kyle Allen from Hortonville. Uh, 25 touchdown passes leading the state of Wisconsin right now. Um, had a great year for Hortonville, who's themselves uh, a little bit under the radar this season. They've got some tough games where he can really make some momentum uh, and, and get the, some things done. A big turnaround for him. Last year, he had more interceptions than touchdowns. His passer rating was 60, completed 47% of his passes. This year, completing 58%. His quarterback rating is 121, 25 touchdown passes and four interceptions. Now for him to stay in the race, Hortonville is going to have to win probably the next two games and probably get pretty deep in the playoffs. They've got Nina this week, and they've got Kaukona to close the season. If they can get to 8-1, and one, if he continues to have a strong season, I think you certainly keep him in the conversation, but he's one of those that you're really watching these last couple weeks to see how things go. Johnny Davis could be in a little bit of a, a similar position to Zach Bond from Brown Deer. Lacrosse Central is a solid team, but you know they're... They're not going to win a conference title, um, especially with his uh, twin brother Jordan out with uh, with injury. But Johnny's continued to put up big numbers, but a lot of it has been kind of as a dual-threat quarterback. Um, they're 4-3 and three right now. Again, the numbers from a, a team success standpoint aren't great, 
but what he has done as an individual is pretty incredible. Uh, kind of varied his game a little bit with Jordan going out, still throwing the football a good amount. Um, he's got uh, 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns through the air, but it's really been dynamic on the ground. Over 1,100 yards on the ground, 16 touchdowns. So he's averaging uh, about 370 yards of offense per game when you add in passing and rushing. Very impressive. And, you know, again, a kid that's in the conversation right now, but how long will he be in the conversation if Lacrosse Central, let's say, loses in round one and, you know, ends up seven and four or six and five or something like that? I don't know that he'll stay in that conversation, but he's in it right now, depending on how things go. Another quarterback that's certainly in the conversation is uh, Caden Nelson from Wanakee. First-year starter, stepped in, done an incredible job for the Warriors. We don't have stats for uh, not the most recent game, but two games ago, so we're a little bit short on that. But he does have 22 touchdowns this year, uh, only a couple of interceptions, putting up some pretty solid numbers, even though with the dominating wins that uh, Wanakee has had in a lot of their uh, games, he's not having to throw the football a lot. Um, but he's looked very good when he has. And and they have, obviously, the kind of team success that you're looking for to keep him in the conversation. There's some running backs that are certainly in the conversation. And it starts with the state's leading rusher, Joey Jorgi, at Grafton. We talked about Grafton a little earlier. They've got some work to do to get into the playoffs. So, you know, if, if they can get hot in the D3 playoffs and make a deep run, he probably stays in the conversation. If Grafton goes out pretty early in the playoffs, uh, I think that probably, uh, you know, extinguishes the chances for Joey to stay in that conversation, even though he is leading the state in, in uh, rushing yards right now, almost 1,500 with 19 touchdowns. Some other guys in the uh, in the discussion in the backfield, Tanner Keller from Waterford. Again, a two-headed uh, monster that they have there with he and Dominic Miller. But he's had a great year. Not going to get as many carries as some of the other guys just based on um, the success that they've had and sharing carries. But 1,100 yards, almost 1,200 yards, in fact, 17 touchdowns. And he's averaging over 12 yards per carry for an undefeated team. If Waterford makes a deep playoff run, his chances obviously increase significantly. Alex Current from Muskego, you might ask why him? He doesn't even lead his team in rushing right now, um, but he's dynamic. He's uh, a heck of a playmaker and does enough things in the other areas that I think you've got to keep him in the conversation, especially given how deep we expect Muskego to go in the playoffs and what he can do with the ball in his hands. They didn't get the ball to him a lot early on, started to feed him a little bit more. Um, he's got 66 carries. Josh Bolsky, who leads the team in rushing, has 146. So he's 80 carries short of the, uh, of the team leader. But he averages over 13 yards per carry. He's got 12 touchdowns. He has uh, a, a good amount of yards receiving. He's got five catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown receiving. He's got a kick return touchdown. You would expect that once the playoffs roll around, his name will be called a lot more. And yeah, he's probably towards the bottom of the list right now, just from where things stand currently. But I have to include him based on where things could go if Muskego keeps winning as we think and expect they might. Brookfield Central running back, uh, running back Rashad Lampkin has to be in the mix as well. Brookfield Central, you know, haven't had the 
this kind of season maybe that we thought coming off of two straight state tournament appearances, state finals appearances, but they could get there, especially if they beat Menominee Falls this week, especially if they make another deep playoff run. Lampkin's got the name value. He's a Division I recruit, um, highly ranked coming into the season. He was an All-State kid last year. He's got all those kinds of things. He's had a solid season, um, 1,100 yards, 16 touchdowns. It's going to depend on where Brookfield Central goes from here as a team. A couple guys that have uh, you know, have some, not issues per se, but have some things that make you uh, kind of limit where they might be right now. Number one, Nate Varkakel from Whitnall came into uh, or led the state in rushing much of the early part of the season, but he missed a game a couple weeks ago. And from what I understand, it was not injury related. So number one, what does that do for his ability to receive recognition within the conference? And if he's not eligible for all conference for whatever reason, he's not going to be eligible for all state or all region or player of the year. And will that, uh, you know, even if he is eligible, will that come into play? If you're, you know, if you're, if you're suspended from a game, which is from what my understanding is the case, that really impacts your, your potential. Um, and also just the fact that he missed a game. Now he's still second in the state in rushing. He leads the state in yards per game, but where's Whitnall going to go? The teams out of the Woodland East have not fared very well in the playoffs the last few years. Can Whitnall change that? Or if they have an early exit, his chances are, are likely done as well. An interesting name to keep an eye on, Josh Blount from West Appear, a junior quarterback. And we saw him in the state title game last year with West Appear, of course. They have the kind of success, and he's got the kind of uh, pedigree coming into the season that you would look for. Now he's a kid that is uh, is doing a lot with his legs as well. Averaging 11 yards per carry. He's got 900 rushing yards, 14 touchdowns. He's thrown for 700 yards and eight touchdowns, but West appear has been so dominant this year that he really hasn't had a lot of opportunities. He's still averaging 230 some yards a game total between rushing and passing, but that will start to pick up as the playoffs go along, most likely. So his numbers are likely to pick up as the playoffs go along. And that will go a long way in helping to determine just how much of a threat he might be in that uh, player of the year race. Um, the leader right now, I think your leader in the clubhouse, though, might be Tyler Tenner at Racine Lutheran. His team's undefeated. They made it to state last year. He's got a, a pretty decent chance to break the all-time rushing record in the state of Wisconsin for career yardage. He's having a big, uh, big senior season, 1,400 yards so far. You know, some of the other weapons at Racine Lutheran, uh, they've lost, and so they're relying on him a little bit more. He's had a chance to rest a little bit against some teams uh, where they've had some blowouts. He's had some big performances in tough games. Um, but he's got he's to show up in some big games for them. The, the biggest game of the year against Racine St. Catharines, uh, he was limited to 81 yards and no touchdowns on the ground. Now, he did have uh, some big contributions through the air, caught a touchdown in that game. They ask a lot of him, play some on defense, and you know they, they feed him the ball a lot when they need to. So his numbers will increase. But if he stays on track, he's averaging about 200 yards per game right now. If he stays on that path, 
there's a good chance that uh, as long as Racine Lutheran makes a deep playoff run, he's going to break the all-time rushing record. And it would be very difficult to not have him as a favorite, especially when you're looking at the uh, small school player of the year award on offense. So uh, I thought he was probably the favorite coming into the season based on what he has done in his career to this point, based on the production he's put up, based on where his team could go, based on, uh, again, the uh, potential to break the all-time rushing record. I think he might be the leader right now and the one to beat. So those are some of the top players, about 12 of them. There's some other guys in the mix, some other guys that I'll list on the others to watch that for whatever reason, I think are just a little bit behind right now. Guys like Luke Fox at Catholic Memorial, who if CMH goes deep and he really picks it up, uh, obviously he's going to be in the mix. Cole Wisniewski at Sparta, Brady Stevens at Sun Prairie, Ian Wilson at Medford, Brooks Blount at uh, Waukesha West. Um, Chamir DK, I think, potentially at Waukesha North. I mean, those are the kinds of guys that are kind of on the periphery, but for whatever reason, whether it's the the team success not being there or uh, whatever it might be, I think they're just a, a little bit behind some of the other guys on this list. Certainly, again, they could make a big jump. We're only halfway through the entire season. Some of these players will still have six, seven games left to build a resume and to build some uh, big performances. So it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. But those are the favorites, I think, right now uh, for Offensive Player of the Year. I don't get a vote. Offensive Player of the Year by the WFCA is voted on by the district reps. Um, I don't get a vote for the AP Player of the Year. We're not members of the Associated Press. Uh, Gatorade stopped asking me because I told them they needed to uh, compensate us because they used to ask us who to pick every year. Um, it's Gatorade player of the year. My tangent and rant for this week, I guess, uh, picked by somebody at a desk in an office in Ohio or Connecticut or something like that. Um, so I, I don't put a lot of stock into the Gatorade player of the year in any of the sports, to be quite honest with you. Um, but whatever, but those are some of the guys I think will be in the conversation for whatever award it might be whether it's Offensive Player of the Year from the WFCA, large school or small school, AP, Gatorade, whatever. Uh, if you got some other thoughts, certainly let me know. Um, and again, some of the other guys that we didn't mention or some of the guys that we mentioned as others to watch have a chance. It's not like we're saying they don't have a chance. They're just needing to do a little bit more to get into that conversation. It's going to be fun to see how that race plays out. Sometimes we forget about that part of it. The... Uh, you know, the individual awards and accolades and, and uh, records and things as we get into the playoffs with so much hype and so much build up to the playoffs and so much invested in uh, the, you know, the, the winner go home aspect of, uh, of the playoff structure. But this is uh, something we'll continue to follow over the last few weeks. As I mentioned, look for another special edition of the WSN podcast this weekend, where we'll look at any of the maybe surprising results that came out of week eight and what they would do to our projections for the playoff qualifying field, what they would do for our projections for the divisional cut lines and see if things change much from what we thought heading into week eight compared to what happens after week eight. We've got a lot in store for you leading up the next uh, 10 days or so to the Final Friday night of the high school football season, the release of the playoff pairings, 
the release of the brackets, the divisional groupings, all that good stuff. And we'll fill you in a little bit more on what all that will entail, what all we will have. We'll fill you in a little bit more in the next, uh, in the coming days, but really stay tuned to Wisports.net. It's, it's a fun time of the year, a busy time of the year, but a great time of the year to talk about so much outstanding high school football. I am Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net. This has been a Wisports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game.